Section 4 of Astounding Stories of Super Science, September 1930. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Paul P. Jetta of the Lowlands, beginning a three-part novel, by Ray Cummings. Forward. Have you ever stood on the seashore with the breakers rolling at your feet and imagined what the scene would be like if the ocean water were gone? I have had a vision of that many times. Standing on the Atlantic coast, gazing out towards Spain, I can envisage myself, not down at sea level, but upon the brink of a height. Spain and the coast of Europe, off there upon another height. And the depths between? Unreal landscape. Mysterious realm which we now call the bottom of the sea. Worn and rounded crags, bloated mud-plains, noisome reaches of ooze which once were the cold and dark and silent ocean floor, caked and drying in the sun. And off to the south, the little fairy mountain-tops of the West Indies, rearing their verted crowns aloft. If the ocean water were gone, can you picture it? A new world, greater in area than all the land we now have. They would call the former sea level the zero height, perhaps. The depths would go down as far beneath it as Mount Everest towers above it. Aeroplanes would fly down into them. And I can imagine the settlement of these vast new realms, new nations being created, born of man's indomitable will to conquer every adverse condition of inhospitable nature. A novel setting for a story of adventure, it seems so to me. Can you say that the oceans will never drain of their water? that an earthquake will not open a rift some day in the future and lower the water into subterranean caverns? The volume of water of all the oceans is no more to the volume of the earth than a tissue paper wrapping on an orange. Is it too great a fantasy? Why? Reading the facts of what happened in 1929, it is already prognosticated. The fishing banks off the coast of Newfoundland have suddenly sunk. Cable ships, repairing a broken cable, snapped by the earthquake of November 18, 1929, report that for distances of a hundred miles on the Grand Banks, the cables have disappeared into unfathomable depths. And before the subterranean cataclysm, they were within 600 feet of the surface. And all the bottom of that section of the North Atlantic seems to have caved in. 10,000 square miles dropped out of the bottom of the ocean. Fact, not fancy. And so, let us enlarge the picture. Let us create the lowlands, 20,000 feet below the zero height, the setting for a tale of adventure, the romance of the mist-shrouded deeps, and the romance of Little Jetta. Chapter 1. The Secret Mission I was 25 years of age that May evening of 2020 when they sent me south into the lowlands, I had been in the National Detective Service Bureau, and then was transferred to the Customs Department, Atlantic Lowlands Branch. I went alone. It was best, my commander thought, an assignment needing diplomacy rather than a show of force. It was 9 p.m. when I catapulted from the little stage off Long Island Airport, a fair moonlit evening, a moon just beyond the full, rising to pale the eastern stars. I climbed about a thousand feet, swung over the headlands of the hook, and keeping in the thousand-foot local lane, took my course. My destination lay some 1,300 miles southeast of Great New York. I could do a good normal 390 in this fleet little wasp, especially if I, if I kept to the rarer air pressures over the zero height. 
The thousand-foot lane had a southward drift this night. I was making now well over four hundred. I would reach Nareda soon after midnight. The continental shelf slid beneath me, dropping away as my course took me further from the highland borders. The lowlands lay patched with inky shadows and splashes of moonlight, domes with upstanding rounded heads, plateaus of naked black rock, ten thousand feet below the zero height, trenches like valleys, ridged and pitted, naked in places like a pockmarked lunar landscape, or again a pall of black mist would shroud it all, dark curtain of sluggish cloud, with moonlight tinging its edges pallid green. To my left, eastward, towards the great basin of the mid-Atlantic lowlands, there was always a steady downward slope. To the right, it came up over the continental shelf to the highlands of the United States. There was often water to be seen in these lowlands, a spring-fed lake far down in a cauldron pit, spilling into a trench. Low-lying, landlocked little seas, canyons, some of them dry, others filled with tumultuous flowing water or great gashes with water sluggishly flowing or standing with heavy slime and a pall of uprising vapor in the heat of the night. At 37 degrees north and 70 degrees west, I passed over the newly named Atlas Sea, a lake of water here more than a hundred miles in extent. Its surface lay 15,000 feet below the zero height. Its depth in places was a full 3,000. It was clear of mist tonight. The moonlight shimmered on its rippled surface like pictures my father had often shown me of the former oceans. I passed a little later well to the westward of the verted mountaintops of Bermuda. There was nothing of this flight novel to me. I had frequently flown over the lowlands. I had descended into them many times, but never upon such a mission as was taking me there now. I was headed for Nareda, capital village of the tiny lowland republic of Nareda, which only five years ago, came into national being as a protectorate of the United States. Its territories lie just north of the mountain highlands of Haiti, Santo Domingo, and Puerto Rico, a few hundred miles of tumbled lowlands embracing the turgid Nars Sea, whose bottom is the lowest point of all of the western hemisphere, some 30,000 feet below the zero height. The village of Nareda is far down indeed. I had never been there. My chart showed it on the southern border of the Nars Sea at minus 20,000 feet with the Mona Valley behind it like a gash in the steep upward slopes to the highlands of Puerto Rico and Haiti. Nareda has a mixed population of typical lowland adventurers, among which the hardy Dutch predominate, and Holland and the United States have combined their influence in the world court to give it national identity. And out of this had arisen my mission now, Mercury, the quicksilver of commerce so recently come to tremendous value through its universal use in the new antiseptics which bid fair to check all human disease was being produced in Nareda. The import duty to the United States was being paid openly enough, but nevertheless Hanley's agents believed that smuggling was taking place. It was to investigate this condition that Hanley was sending me. I had introduction to the Nareda government officials I was to consult with Hanley by etherphone in seeking the hidden source of the contraband quicksilver, but, in the main, to use my own judgment. A mission of diplomacy. I had no mind to pry openly among the people of these lowland depths, looking for smugglers. I might, indeed, find them too unexpectedly. Over-curious strangers are not welcomed by the lowlanders. Many have gone into the depths and have never returned. I was above the Nars Sea by midnight, 
I was still flying a thousand feet over the zero height. Twenty-one thousand feet below me lay the black expanse of water. The moon had climbed well towards the zenith now. Its silver shafts penetrated the hanging mist stratas. The surface of the Narsi was visible, dark and sullen-looking. I shifted the angles of incidence of the wings, reset my propeller angles, and made the necessary carburetor adjustments, switching on the supercharger, which would supply air at normal zero-height pressure to the carburetors throughout my descent. I swung over Nareda. The lights of the little village far down, dwarfed by distance, showed like bleary, winking eyes through the mist. The jagged recesses of the Mona Valley were dark with shadow. The Narse Sea lay like some black monster asleep, and slowly, heavily panting. Moonlight was over me, with stars and fleecy white clouds. Calm, placid, atmospheric night was up here, but beneath it all seemed so mysterious, fantastic, sinister. My heart was pounding as I put the wasp into a spiral and forced my way down. End of section four.